Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. All right, we'll start uh, making our way back, making our way back here. So uh, we're in the, uh, the, the fun times of summer where, um, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I almost forgot there was church today, so, uh, so everyone here gets just, you know, tons of, of credit, extra credit. We, we distribute that throughout the year. And in fact, we actually, you may not know this, we have a summer clause where if there's a certain amount of people, we all go get brunch. And we were just one over that. This, sorry. I apologize for that. Um, we were one away from being able to get brunch uh, instead of this. But no, it's exciting to, to be here and, um, and on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's literally like my favorite weekend uh, of the year. It's summer. It's like the official kickoff to summer. Uh, my kids are out of school, so I don't have to get them dressed before the sun comes up anymore. It's wonderful. And, uh, and we just we spent a lot of time by the pool yesterday. So, uh, so I'm happy that you're here. You may mentally be on the lake right now or... Um, maybe even at the beach, but I'm, I'm glad that you're here, and hopefully as we progress uh, through this Sunday, mentally you'll come back around and, uh, and be here with us today, so that would be uh, nice. We, we've been in uh, a pretty long discussion on the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking through uh, different aspects of the Holy Spirit and how that's applicable for our lives and how that um, we relate to the Holy Spirit, how we're living in an age where we have free access through the Holy Spirit to the Father. We've, we've, we've talked over the past several weeks about the different ways the Holy Spirit um, interacts with us and, and just how to form a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so throughout that conversation, we've been learning more and more about the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And now we're moving into sort of a, a mini-series within this overarching plan on uh, the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives. And so we're, we're looking at, over the next uh, several weeks, we're going to be talking through uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those relate to our lives and, and learning about those and trying to, to dispel some mystery around those if we can. And then we're going to move into a series on the fruits of the Spirit and how those can grow and develop within our life. And so we're, we're taking pretty much the rest of the summer to explore this dynamic relationship that is being formed within us with the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited about it. But before we move you know, further into a discussion on the Holy Spirit, and, and especially uh, in around the, the idea of the gifts of the Spirit and all of that, we have, to, we have to understand a framework that we're currently living and thinking through as people sitting here today in Nashville. And you may not realize it, in fact, you probably don't realize it, but you're, you're viewing everything that, that comes in, all of the information, all of the thoughts, all of the things you see are being filtered through a process of reasoning that you've developed because of your background and because of your culture, because of your education systems, because of your parents. We, we thrive in this Western society as sort of logic-based 
reasoning that uh, is heavily influenced by the sciences, and, uh, and that's called modernism. And so if you're here, then probably your view and your outlook has been shaped in some way by this modernized, westernized view of the world. And, and to understand this further, we have to realize that, that this began, this westernized view began sort of as a reaction to the Dark Ages and, and began in the Enlightenment period uh, that affected mostly Western Europe. And what it does is it, it essentially says that, that all things work uh, through logic-based reasoning and ration, and it puts a lot of weight on the sciences and what can and can't be proven. And so then any outcome that can't be proven through uh, like replicable scientific data and experiment, experiments, the validity of those results will be in question. So in other words, we're raised, we're groomed, we're enculturated to look at things a certain way. Through, through a certain lens, and what this lens is called is, is a worldview. And so we all typically, as Westerners, view the world through a particular lens. And also as Westerners, we tend to be somewhat imperialistic, and we believe that everyone either does or should think exactly like we do. It's one of our inherent flaws. But the reality is, is that's not really true. In fact, only about a third of the world uh, processes things through that scientific, logic-based paradigm. And uh, the rest of the world uh, processes it quite differently. And so as we're approaching Scripture, as we're, as we're learning about this, this Bible that we're reading, we have to understand that, that this book was written in a Middle Eastern context to ancient Middle Eastern people. And what we need to be very careful about doing is reading the scriptures, interpreting the scriptures through any way other than how they were meant to be read and interpreted. And so what we can't do is interpret what the scriptures are saying through this worldview that we've developed or that's been developed in us. It just doesn't work. So to give you an example, there was an experiment that was done shortly after World War II. And in the experiment, they began to, to analyze the way that different people process data differently. And so uh, they, would, they would give out this list of syllogisms, which are basically these, these logical thought patterns, and then they would ask the people to answer a question. So here's an example. One that says, cotton doesn't grow in countries that have cold weather. The next statement is, England is a country with cold weather. And so the question is, will cotton grow in England? And so if, if you're like me, you're using your logic-based paradigm, and you would say, well, logically, no. It, it doesn't grow. But what they were amazed to find, they, they, they surveyed thousands of different people across different cultural spectrums, and, and the people that didn't come from a westernized background actually answered the question that they were unqualified to answer because they'd never been to England. In other words, they said, I don't know, I've never been to England. Maybe it does or maybe it doesn't. And it doesn't mean that they're bad at logic. It means that they, the elevation of their experience was higher than our ration. In other words, they see the world as more complicated than we typically tend to as people in a Western logic-based society. And they, they realize that the world is complex and complicated, and unless they've been able to go to England and investigate it for themselves and experience it for themselves, they weren't qualified. Which is a very interesting way to look at questions and thoughts. 
to look at Scripture. Because what we typically tend to do is we'll, we'll go through our logic-based reasoning and come to a conclusion that may or may not be true. And so what can happen is you'll have two people, three people, four people, they'll view a situation, a circumstance, a scripture, and they'll see and interpret different things looking at the same scripture or event or circumstance because of the different worldviews of which they're processing. Is everyone, this is heavy. So to give an example, we have a picture. All right, so that is a picture of who sees an old, old lady, who sees a young woman, okay? So you get it? So it's one picture, one, at one point there's, there's an older lady. If you see it, if you scroll your eyes from the bottom up, you'll see the older lady. If you scroll your eyes from the top down, you'll see the younger woman there. Same picture, we're seeing two different things, right? So we have another example here. Okay, who remembers this? <laughs> same picture, same dress. Uh, some people see white and gold. Some people see blue and black. And the internet is hostily divided as to which is the correct answer. I see blue and gold, so I'm... Yeah, right? You see what? You see blue and black. It's just, it's amazing. And so this is just a small example of... What's that? Yanni? Right, yeah, right. So the, the latest iteration of that is Yanni. Uh, <laughs> or Laurel, that's right. Team Yanni, team Laurel. Um, so you, you understand what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's highly likely, if not probable, that we're able to view... You can take that, you can go to the next because it'll be distracting. Everyone will be... <laughs> You're able to interpret different things different ways. And, and we want to, to make sure that we're not putting over um, the, the lens of our Western logic-based ration over Scripture. And we need to make sure that, that we're, not, we're not missing things that the Scripture is telling us. And see, here's what happens with, with the way our brains process information and, and how things work. Your, your worldview is constantly processing bits of information, and your brain is picking up what it deems to be important. I mean, because we see and we take in so much information throughout the day, I mean, it'd be impossible for our brains to be, like, cognizant of everything going on. And so quietly in the background, like an operating system, your worldview is filtering and sifting out things that may or may not be of relevance or importance to you, so it deems. So we have to understand that this is, this is kind of constantly going on. And, and what happens often is that, you know, we're people, right? And, we, and we're people, if you're here, if you're here on Memorial Day especially, you probably at least want to love God. And you want to love the God of the Bible. You want to read the Bible and, and live like the Bible. And so it's not a conscious thing, but we're just able to, to pick up different things from the Scriptures regardless of, of what's happening. Perfect example. We have this story in Acts and, and we have this story of, of Peter, and he's been in prison, and, and he's, he's in prison. We have his friends. They're having a prayer meeting, and, and they're, they're praying for his release. 
a pretty incredible thing happens. He has an angelic encounter that breaks him out of the prison. Uh, He's in this trance. He comes out of this trance and realizes it's real. It's not a dream. And we pick up here at at Acts 12, 11. It says, uh, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and he has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many people were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So if you've been around the church for any period of time, you probably have heard something like this in Sunday school, maybe drew a picture, Peter's in chains, Uh, he gets released, everyone's excited. But the question is, did you catch what was said within the passage of Scripture? Like, apparently, these people were so used to the fact that they were seeing angels that they were more apt to believe that it was Peter's angel that was at the door than Peter, so much so that they didn't even really bother to get up. They just dismissed it and said, oh, it's just his angel. And apparently, we all have angels, because it was Peter's angel, and apparently they somehow look like us, right? These are the things that are said in the scripture, because apparently, angels and the sighting of angels were quite common, because they didn't create this whole ruckus about it. And they were more apt to believe that Peter's angel that apparently looked like him showed up at the door for some reason and knocked, than actually he got out of prison. That's crazy, right? I mean, if that were to happen today, we would just be like, what? You know, and we would be more interested in the angel than in Peter, right? But we read this story and we just sort of just go past it and our filters filter those details out and we're, we're left with this somewhat, you know, storybook Sunday school story instead of realizing what is actually being said in the passage, and, and so it's, it's very likely that we can continue to read the scriptures and completely miss this incredible supernatural God that we serve. Because the way that our, our logical reasoning goes is that unless we can figure out how this process works and, and why God would do what he does and, and all of those sort of things, we would tend to discount it because God obviously has to do what we think he can do. But if that's the way God is for you, God is way too small. And so we're constantly battling this westernized concept of logic because it's much easier for us to come to the conclusion that Peter was escaping from prison than an angel. We would never assume it was an angel, right? I mean, it'd be the last thing. Another great example is Paul is on this island. He gets shipwrecked. They, They survive to the island. And as soon as he comes on shore, the natives are there to welcome them, and he gets bit by a venomous snake, poisonous snake. So the people on the island assume that, oh, Paul must be a murderer, because obviously, I mean, it's such a string of bad luck that his ship would wreck, and he finally survives that and gets to shore only to be bitten by a venomous snake. As soon as he arrives, the gods must be punishing him. So he's, he must be a murderer. Well, so then Paul shakes the snake off and goes on, And the people say, well, wait a minute, he's a god. 
the, the snake didn't, didn't uh, kill him. He must be a god. Those were the two paradigms that they were seeing this event through. And now, if it were us, we would say, wow, that's interesting. It must be a really old snake. It must have been a snake that had already bit something. And the venom was out. We don't know how snakes work, but that must have been the reason. In both cases, we're missing the, mir- the miracle that Paul was spared from the venomous snake bite, of which Jesus prophesies about earlier in the Gospels. And, and we're able to see what the Lord is doing without missing it. You know, there's this other, other scripture where, the, where you know, the Lord's voice booms over Jesus and pronounces him that it's his son and we should listen to him. And there's this really interesting verse right at the end and it says, some, saw, some thought it thundered. And so we're, we're very able, at least scripturally, to literally hear the audible voice of God and interpret it as thunder. Because it's, it's almost like Jesus was telling the truth when he said that whatever it is you're seeking, you'll find. And the inverse of that would be, whatever you're not seeking, you won't find. And so not only does our, our worldview affect how we process information, it also affects our expectations of what we're getting ready to encounter. And so if your worldview is such that you, you never expect to see anything of the supernatural extent, then odds are you probably won't see it. And you would hear God's voice and think it's thunder, and you would see Paul shake a snake off and think it's an old snake. And what we have to understand is that that's not the people of the scriptures. And the people that this book was written to was an ancient Middle Eastern culture that apparently were so used to seeing angels that it didn't excite them anymore. And we, we have to be very careful not to rationalize the scriptures, not to take them in such a, uh, you know, a systemic way where we, we process out all of the potential for God's miraculous intention. And I'm always amazed at our ability to somehow buy into a God that exists, that we can't really prove that exists, that created the earth and, and that did all the things that we read in the scriptures and then sends his son and the son is immaculately conceived. We celebrate it on Christmas and then he's able to, to somehow pay for the sins of the world and we're able to accept him and then live in a place that we've never seen for eternity with him. Somehow we're able to accept those truths, which they're true, But the idea that God can invade now supernaturally in our lives, it seems preposterous. How does that work? I mean, it doesn't. Those two things don't exist. Either you believe everything that the scriptures say, or just do something else. Putting the two together seems awkward. And and not having an expectation of God interfering and intervening miraculously doesn't really coexist with the scriptures. And you'll say things like, well, I guess everything happens for a reason. And, and you'll look at your life and say, well, I guess that's just the way it's going to happen. Maybe God will use it somehow. Maybe, maybe I'm sick so I can learn a different character trait and become a better person. Because you've boiled down the scriptures, you've stripped them of their power, and we've made God just this pitiful, powerless deity that that we'll see at some point. Instead of saying, oh, you're sick? Well, James says that we should call the elders around and anoint you, pray for you, and you should be healed. So let's try that. We're much more inclined to call the doctor first. 
because we understand that that medicine usually works. And let's try that. We can prove it. See what I'm saying? Like, like that's how we're processing things. And as we're approaching the, the idea of the spiritual gifts, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we're approaching that subject, we have to understand that we're approaching a subject of dynamic interaction between ourselves and the most powerful being in the universe. We have to approach the idea of spiritual gifts as something, somehow, that we can interact with his Holy Spirit, and it's, it's something that we can participate with him in. Otherwise, it's just a good idea at some point. And I've, I've heard it said that we owe the world an encounter with the living, breathing, powerful God. That's what they're waiting on. That's what I'm waiting on. And doctors may be okay until you're sick and they can't figure it out. And then we need to readjust our paradigms. And so I want us to take that framework with us as we continue to study the Holy Spirit and look through the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and how we interact with that. I want us to keep in mind what paradigms are we reading the scriptures through and how are we interacting. Paul is writing this to a church in Corinth a few thousand years ago that, that they weren't Jews. They were pre, pre, uh, predominantly uh, Gentiles. And not only were they Gentiles, they, they worshiped all kinds of God. And Corinth was this uh, incredibly prosperous and, and wicked city where it was a port city. And their primary gods that the culture around them worshiped were sex and money. It's, it sounds relevant. It should sound relevant to us today. So he's writing to this group of people, and this isn't other, I mean, it says the first letter, but it's not his first letter to the Corinthians because within this, chap, within this book of 1 Corinthians, we see that there's been at least one other letter that he wrote to the people there, and, and apparently that letter call, caused quite a bit of confusion, and so you know, he'll say, like, you know, don't be confused, and you know, concerning this matter, this is what I meant, and so it's probably why the Holy Spirit said, let's just leave that one out of the canon. It seemed to ask more questions than it answered. And so we have him writing again to the people who have experienced some confusion. And he's writing about, in this particular section, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, this word uh, gifts is a word that we get from the Greek. Uh, it's charisma. And plural of charisma is uh, charismata. And uh, that's where we uh, get the English, you know, charisma, charismatic, all those sort of things. We tend to interpret those kind of how we see fit. Uh, if we're talking about a politician, that means that they're, you know, they're able to hold a crowd and, and they're able to um, you know, get us to like them. They're very charismatic. They've got a very charismatic personality. If we're thinking about a church, we may think of those strange churches with uh, maybe they use different things in worship and they look a little strange and maybe they wear a lot of makeup and, and dance around a little bit. That could be our view of charismatic in that setting too. But the biblical view of charismatic is the actual definition of charismatic is grace gifts. And, and that's, that's what the word means. Just like we learned last week, Pentecost means 50. Charismatic means grace gifts, which honestly is, is kind of redundant because a gift just inherently means that there's grace associated with it because it, if you earn a gift, then it's not a gift. It's a payment. So grace gift seems a bit redundant, but nevertheless, the Lord chose to put it in the scriptures almost as a declaration to say, like a double declaration to say, everything that we get, 
is, is completely unearned, and it's because the Lord loves us, and he's so good. And so as we're approaching the, the, the charismatics, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the grace gifts, we have to understand, first and foremost, completely undeserved. You can't muster them up. You can't be a better person so you get more access. It's just not how it works. It's a grace gift, which should be encouraging. It takes some of the pressure off. And it means that you don't have to yell louder to access it. You know, you don't have to kind of dance around and, st and stomp around or whatever it is you feel like needs to, to be done. You don't have to be very dramatic to, to be able to participate in these gifts. They're grace gifts. And they're given to us, as we'll read in a minute, as how he sees fit. So Paul begins this famous dissertation on the gifts uh, of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, with a warning for us today. So this is 12.1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want the church to be ignorant. He doesn't want anyone to be ignorant about the spiritual gifts, not in a negative way, not saying they're so ignorant, but in saying, hey, listen, I want you to understand these so that you can participate, so that you can use the gifts that he has, because the gifts will do us no good if they remain on a shelf unopened. The gifts will do us no good if we don't understand and spend time studying, spend time looking and seeking and finding. And so what, he, what he's warning the Corinthians is, listen, these are great. They're grace gifts. But I don't want you to be ignorant about them because you could very easily go throughout your entire life and leave them on the shelf. And that would be a travesty. And so he's, he's warning them here that he doesn't want them to be ignorant. So we'll skip down to verse 4. And he says, uh, There's, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. Just as a one-off, it seems pretty interesting that he lists the Spirit, the Lord, and the God, almost as if he's saying that there's many different gifts, there's many different ministries, but they're all encompassed in the triune God. They're all emanating from his goodness. Like, unless you understand that God is fundamentally in a good mood, you're not going to understand that he really does want to give you things like gifts. And so what he's saying is that all of these gifts just emanate from the core of who he is. Jesus says, you know, if a, if a father who's wicked knows how to give good gifts, how much more do I give the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit isn't just a gift to us, he's a gift giver. And so Paul is, is telling us in this passage that all of the gifts emanate from the very core and person of who God is. And so we'll pick up in, uh, in verse 7. We'll skip down. The word activities within that passage uh, is translated, it means like a purpose. It means, it means uh, the result of. And so the question then becomes like, what is the result or purpose of the, of the gift? What is the reason the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts? And he answers that in verse 7 here. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So why does the Holy Spirit give spiritual gifts to us? It's so that those gifts in the context of ministries will be available for the profit of all. He, he gives them not necessarily for us, but for other people. In other words, like he comes in us for our own benefit, but on us for the benefit of others. 
And so when we're thinking about the Holy Spirit in this context, we realize that the gifts that he's given are for other people that we encounter. And so he's administering these gifts, you see, to each one. So it's not just to the most holy person. It's not just to the pastors. It's not just to the professional ministers. It's to each one. And he's giving each one these spiritual gifts for the benefit of other people that we encounter. And we see this in Jesus' ministry over and over again. And he, he, would, he would interact with the, the poor, the needy, the broken, the sick, the hurting, the dying, the lost, and he would access a gift, and those people would find restoration. And many of those people we said last week were more than likely the ones that were made up the 120 in the upper room. And now the Holy Spirit has filled them, empowered them, and Paul is teaching them about the benefit of these gifts. So we, we skip down here uh, to verse 8. And so this, this whole thing prompts, hopefully, two questions. One, it prompts, what kind of gifts are we going to get? And what do these gifts look like? And so in, in verses 8 through 11, Paul tells us, he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So that's the kinds of gifts that he gives. And we have to understand, first of all, whose gifts are they? They're his. And it says that he gives to each one as he wills which means that it's not necessarily the fact that, oh, I have the gift of healing. So everyone that needs something, please come see me. And you may have the gift of prophecy, so you're, you're the prophet. See, we get those confused. I mean, there is an office of the prophet that, that Paul tells us about in Ephesians, but these are the gifts of prophecy. And if, he, if he's the one that owns the gifts, and he distributes those to each one of us as he wills, that means at any moment, at any time, any of us could access a gift that he's giving for a particular circumstance and moment. So any of us can, if we need it, access the gift of healing because he's distributing that gift, if he deems fit for that purpose. We don't get to claim those. We don't get to to really even say, hey, I need to fill out a form and request this gift of healing We need to actually say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then he's going to let us know, well, right now, I'm going to give you the gift of faith. Great. And so just like we found with everything else with the Holy Spirit, like we're learning about his dynamic, incredible power to transform and, and, and to, to shape our lives and to change the way that we live. But with everything else, we have to receive the gifts, which means we have to yield, which means we have to become incredibly dependent upon him, like sheep that would know a voice of a shepherd, like, like a savior who only does what he sees the father doing. Like Jesus didn't necessarily walk into a town and knowing that he was going to heal those four people and blah, 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 blah. Before it happened, he was doing what he saw the Father doing, and right now he's doing healing. And so Jesus would partner in with that healing 
and people get healed. And right now, he's doing you know, prophecy. So Jesus would begin to prophesy. And so it is with us, it's not so much the idea of, oh, I have the gift of healing, so look out. I'm going to the hospital. We're going to clean it out. It'll be great. It's not how it works. We have to be incredibly dependent upon the Holy Spirit and asking, what are you doing in this situation right now? And then when he decides to distribute a gift, we're listening, we're seeking, we're finding, so much so that we say, ah, right here, this is what the Lord is wanting to do for the benefit of someone else. And so as a church, this is one of the main things that we feel called to here is, is what Paul talks about in Ephesians about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. It's teaching people how to hear the voice of the, of the Lord, how to partner with the Holy Spirit, how to see what he's doing, what he's up to, and so that we can move into the ministry that he has, not so that we can feel great about it, but so that we can begin to affect and change the world for the good and benefit of all. Otherwise, you can just have a rational conversation with someone that may or may not leave them feeling great. Or it may or may not leave them with more questions. And the way that Jesus seemed to evangelize, seemed to help people, was that he would say, hey, the kingdom's here, check this out. And then you would see the dynamic breakthrough of the kingdom of God in people's lives that he encountered. It's the way that that Peter and John encountered the beggar. And he needed money. And they said, we don't have money, but here's what we see the Holy Spirit doing. He's going to heal you. It's interesting that Jesus had walked by this guy many times. And he, he, was, still, he was still lame. Which means that at that point, at that particular time, the Holy Spirit wasn't on that guy for healing. And Jesus, being in tune with the Holy Spirit, knew what he was doing and what he wasn't doing. But so were the disciples that it was on them for that time to fulfill a greater purpose. And so the Lord is having all kinds of things happening and the Holy Spirit is moving and working all over at all times and it's our job to figure out, to pray, to ask him, what are you doing? And what are you doing right now? And how can I partner with you on this? And how can I get involved with what you're doing? He's already working. He's not necessarily even waiting on us. And he's doing things and he's active. And it's our job to figure out what are you doing right now? To ask him. Which means that the gifts, right? The gifts then become situational, not occupational, which means that at any point you can function in any of the gifts. That's what it says. Each one as he wills. And so the hope, the picture is, and Paul tells this later, that you know, when you come together, some will have psalms and spiritual songs, and some will have tongues and interpretations, some will prophesy, some will have workings and miracles. And as we come together, we should be looking for all of these things to become manifested in our presence because the Holy Spirit is dynamic and he's working. And we're going to learn over the next few weeks about the different kinds of spiritual gifts, how they work, uh, what they mean, what they don't mean. We're going to try and blow some confusion away off of those things and, and actually figure out how do we interact with this. Because if we're not looking for them, we're not going to be able to participate. And, and if you run out the scriptures here, 
Like if you, if you, if you kind of go through this passage that the gifts are given for the good of others, the neglect of the gift is actually at the detriment of others. And so to the degree that we're not working in the gifts would be the, the degree that the people around us are suffering. And we understand it's not his will that any should suffer. And he's got gifts, but it's our job to participate, to look for him. Otherwise, we'll just explain away sickness. We'll explain away all of the things that are happening. And we'll hope for one glad morning where we can just get out of here. But the scriptures seem to preach a different gospel. A gospel of the kingdom breaking through today, seeing a difference, seeing a dynamic change within our community. And so we, we have a prayer team. And we're going to have a time of prayer. And in that time of prayer, our prayer team has been trained to say, what are you doing, Lord? What are you wanting to do right now? And if it's healing, great. If it's miracles, great. If it's faith, great. And we're going to partner with the Holy Spirit and we're going to receive the gifts. We're going to yield to his authority, receive the gifts, and then pray into those things with you to see the workings of miracles and healings, to see faith begin to rise. And that's what we do every Sunday when we invite everyone to come up and needs anything. Because we believe that it's not us. It has nothing to do with us. They're grace gifts. And we believe that, that he has given us the ability to ask him, what are you doing? And then begin to distribute those gifts as needed. And so when you find yourself in need of something, find someone who is looking through the gifts of the Holy Spirit with the proper paradigm. That is realizing these are actually available. Because otherwise, you'll just get someone giving you positive speech as opposed to dynamic prayer that changes things. And, and that's what we're after, right? I mean, that's, I don't have time for positive speech. I want, I want whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in my life when I need things. And they're gifts. So we're going to take some time. We're going to worship. And we're going to ask the Lord a couple questions. First is, I'm here for a reason. I believe that I'm here for a reason today. So why is it that you want me to be here, Lord? What is it that you have for me? What are you trying to say to me through this today? And the second question is, am I looking at your scripture? Am I looking at your Holy Spirit? Am I looking at the things of you through a paradigm that, that you're wanting to change? I mean, if he's God, he gets to change the way I see things. He gets to be smarter than me. He gets to break out my ration and my reason and my logic and just do what he wants to do. And maybe you haven't given that over. Maybe you're telling God the theology that he has to obey. He doesn't like that. And then maybe you just need, need something. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need faith. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you need a word of knowledge so you can feel known. Maybe you need a word of wisdom on something. And these gifts are so free and they're so available. It's not just for the big things, it's for the little things. It's not just for the cancer 
appointments. It's also for the headaches because he just loves you. And he's just that good. God is that good that he's in the business of healing cancer and headaches. And his words of wisdom are not only for giant life decisions, but also for business questions, also for whatever it is that you're looking for. I mean, he, he has those available. And we don't have the answers, but he does. And so we'll pray. We'll see what he's saying. And we'll see what happens. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now as we worship. Would you inform our hearts and minds to how are we seeing you? What have we deemed impossible? Where are we missing what you're doing in our lives? And Holy Spirit, we just give you complete access again. We yield completely. We receive everything you have for us. And we give up our our right to understand, to receive your peace that you tell us supersedes our understanding. We just yield our right to understand. Would you begin to speak and move? Would you have your way? For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.